Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Nisa. And I'm Omar. Welcome to our podcast, Help I'm Sad. Today's episode is all about emotional loneliness. We will define emotional loneliness, get raw and real about our own personal experiences with it, and discuss what we feel led to these feelings. So if you're of the melancholy variety, you're a nervous wreck, or anything in between, settle in and make yourself at home. So, Omar, how have you been? I've been good. And as in good, I, I've been making it because I've been working constantly. And I haven't been able to think about anything else other than work. Um, but in that, I've been able to work out in the midst of that and um, take my vitamins every morning and do the things that maintain <laughs> healthy yeah. lifestyle. How about you? Um, I've been <laughs> okay. Um, pretty numb, I think, just like about everything, um, which is like typical, I feel like, like I'll either be really, really sad and like, I'll feel everything, but then there's also the other part of me that's very numb and like, I could try to cry, but I just wouldn't be able to cause I'm just that numb. Okay. All right. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been there. I feel like, well, I feel like. From from just for from a man's perspective, we just aren't given that liberty to cr- freely cry, and then freely cry, and alone it just doesn't make sense. I just I don't know, but I've tried it. I have cried alone before, and I I think I've mentioned in the podcast that I was gonna try to cry on a normal basis, but that hasn't worked out. Thanks for keeping me um, accountable, guys. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you haven't cried because you haven't you haven't felt like you had a reason to or because you just can't or um a mixture of both. Um I think I have plenty of reasons to cry because there's a lot that goes on in the world that just makes you want to. But then there's the other part of I think I I think I'm desensitized <laughs> from a lot, you know what I'm saying? So yeah me crying it's just yeah last, that's why i was saying you're like numb yeah yeah like i feel like i'll cry right before i die type of thing like <laughs> it's all over wow 
<laughs> That's when I like shed a tear. But before then, I don't know. I could count on my hands the amount of time I cried. Really? Yeah. Realistically, hands and feet. I'll give it that. Hands and feet. I, I need g- like at least ten of me to be able to count. <laughs> But I'm, like, a stress crier, an angry crier, a sad crier. Like, I'll just cry, like. At least you're releasing in that way. I guess. But then it also gets, like, annoying because it's, like. I bet you go through a whole bunch of tissue. Should I gift you that for your birthday next time? (laughs) No. I actually don't because I'm, like, the type of person to just. (laughs) I use, like, the end of my shirt or something. You know, like, it's just. Did Did your mom ever catch you crying? And if she does, what does she do to console you? Um, has she caught me crying? Like it's like, like I've been doing something an- bad. Like one of those angry cries. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of the time when I angry cry, it's like because of her. <laughs> <laughs> and other things, but like, like, yeah, she knows I angry cry, and I don't think she's really seen me like. Well, she's seen me sad cry, obviously, yeah. but like. Not, like, the dark times, you know? Right. <laughs> I tend to keep those to myself, but um, she's, like, a physical touch person. Like, with me. Like, she wants to, like, be affectionate and, like, hug me and hold me if I'm crying. And I'm, like, don't touch me, please. Like, let me <laughs> Release me. <laughs> Release me, woman. Right. And, like, just let me cry in the corner by myself. Right. I understand that. Yeah. So we want to introduce a new segment called would you rather one um related to mental health and what we discuss on this podcast but also another easy easy going question to kind of you know sway from that um so the first would you rather would you rather consistently fear the future or consistently regret the past so i think i would rather consistently fear the future because that's not too far off from what i'm currently doing (laughs) in my life and I think it's more natural to, like, fear the future because it's, like, fearing the unknown. And I, it's also natural to regret the, the past, but I feel like it's harder because in the past, it's, like, things already happened and there's, like, no hope anymore because it's, like, well, it already happened, so I can't fix it. Right. But maybe if you think about the future, you can think about how you can fix things or you can, like, at least have a little hope that things will get better or whatever. Right. How about you? Um, so, fear in the future, I think, is a, a constant thing. I think we all kind of go through just as human beings. But I would rather regret the past only because that's what I'm constantly doing now. Just because I think there's a lot of history, especially in our community, that's not being held or told. <clears throat> and so you find I find that we repeat a lot of our history without ever documenting that we repeated the history before. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I just want to figure out why, you know, and like really digest that part. So I think I'll just (laughs) stick in the past. Yeah. (laughs) So that was the hard question. The easy one is, would you rather have spaghetti as hair or sweat mayonnaise? I would argue that this is the harder question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Because the sweat may... Obviously, I'm not sweating mayonnaise. Like, no. 
I'm not. <laughs> I mean. And honestly, I would totally take spaghetti hair. It's easier to manage than what my current hair is. <laughs> <laughs> and the natural hair on my bo- on my head is harder to manage than spaghetti hair. Okay, so. You just got to put some butter on it. <laughs> but spaghetti day. hair is going to grow wherever you grow, like, wherever your hair grows. So your eyebrows, mm-hmm. your eyelashes. Yeah. You're okay with that. I mean, can you shave spaghetti? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can cut it. <laughs> Wait, no, I don't want spaghetti eyebrows. That's true. I don't want spaghetti. Well, okay, if I had spaghetti eyebrows, it would be like un spaghetti, like <laughs> one spaghetti. Or it would be like multiple, like short strands of spaghetti. You don't get to choose a size. I think that, and then so if that was the case and people had to choose whether, you know, I think it would go like, So <laughs> I feel like Asians will have thinner spaghetti strands you know black people will have thicker spaghetti strands <laughs> okay okay i think i would still choose spaghetti hair because honestly it's also a snack you know what i'm saying like you could eat it okay i was th- okay so you want to hear mine i yeah. would say i will sweat mayonnaise and you hear why no <laughs> no that's so gross i'm gonna sweat mayonnaise because at this point at this juncture in my life right now at 26, I have somewhat of a routine. And there's a designated time when I'm sweating profusely. Okay. And so during that time when I'm per, per, ugh, sweating profusely, I can wear a sweat vest, right, that collects okay. all this mayonnaise. No, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. Like, visualizing that gives me anxiety. Don't visualize it. Just just hear the words that I'm <laughs> no. saying. Just know that this is my, where my logic is, okay? So, okay, I'm putting a sweatsuit on. I'm going to collect all the mayonnaise. And then after I get done sweating, where I'm going to do all that mayonnaise? No, 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 no. <laughs> going too far? Yes. You have to throw it away. You have to throw away the mayonnaise. <laughs> okay, I'll throw it away. But if it tastes all right and it doesn't have an exp- no. expiration date on it, an and, it's my, date. and it's my sweat mayonnaise, I don't see the problem. And I'm okay with the judgment. <laughs> You're okay with the judgment. It's my mayonnaise. It's my That's sweat. I'm saying it's my mayonnaise. <laughs> it's no one else's. That's so Shout out disturbing. To, to who? My my friend Nathan. We have an okay. ongoing joke about mayonnaise, and I'll tell you after this podcast. Okay. <laughs> so for today's episode, we're going to focus largely on um, some concepts from a book called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Um, me and Omar have started reading this, what, like a month ago? Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's mind-blowing i think it's important in every person's life to read this just so you can understand like why people might treat you a certain way and i think it's also helpful in forgiving people or healing from certain situations that have been traumatic so today's episode is focused mostly on emotional loneliness what that means and how we've experienced it in our lives and how this book describes it So in the book, there's a section, like a checklist for the reader to kind of check off their parent or their caregiver's emotional immaturity um, level. And the book refers to the immature, emotionally immature person as a parent. However, 
some people aren't raised technically by their biological parents. So I'm probably going to refer to it as caregivers, emotional immaturity. And for me, I know that the situations I will be talking about are focused on people who have cared for me in my life, but not necessarily my my parent, my mom. So, And I will be referring to who I who who has cared for me over the years as caregivers just to protect the, protect the identities of those right. that I still have respect for. So Right, we don't want to expose right. <laughs> too much. This is not that. Right. <laughs> or make people feel bad because in honesty, like, everyone's human. We, we're, we're all making mistakes and we're all growing. And no one should necessarily be shamed for, like, the things that they've done. This isn't the point of the episode or reading the book it's to understand where they're coming from so we can have more empathy and we can move on with our lives so in the book to assess your parent or your caregiver's emotional immaturity level the author provides a checklist and these are some of the points in the checklist my parent often overreacted to relatively minor things my parent didn't express much empathy or emotional awareness when it came to emotional closeness and feelings my parent seemed uncomfortable and didn't go there My parent was often irritated by individual differences or different points of view. When I was growing up, my parent used me as a confidant, but wasn't a confidant for me. My parent often said and did things without thinking about people's feelings. I didn't get much attention or sympathy from my parent, except maybe when I was really sick. My parent was inconsistent, sometimes wise, sometimes unreasonable. If I became upset, my parent either said something superficial and unhelpful or got angry and sarcastic conversations mostly centered on my parents' interests. Even polite disagreement could make my parent very defensive. It was deflating to tell my parent about my successes because it didn't seem to matter. Facts and logic were no match for my parents' opinions. My parent wasn't self-reflective and rarely looked at his or her role in a problem. My parent tended to be a black-and-white thinker and unreceptive to new ideas. So those were all the, the points on the checklist. And I know for me, some of them definitely ticked off for certain people in my life. And when I went through the checklist, I was also looking for me. <laughs> I was like, am I emotionally immature? Um, I don't think I am, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I do know there are certain people in my life who are definitely, definitely hit on a majority of these things. And I think it's really like eye-opening and helpful to know that like, it also kind of disturbing to know that like people can fit into this checklist and that the reason that they're this way isn't necessarily because of me. It's because of issues that other people have, meaning yeah. like other people can relate to being this way. And also it's probably issues, most likely issues from their past. And so I don't have to like take on the the issues that they have and make it like my issue yeah um, um which ones did you find like what did you think when you read the checklist and did you find any that you related to or that you could like apply to people in your life um so at first i selfishly did not apply any of this checklist to me <laughs> or what <laughs> i could have probably contribute to my own suffering or to someone else suffering um <clears throat> So initially, it was very selfish. Like, like, like I, maybe my parent does do this. Let me look mm-hmm. at. Let me look at. Let me honestly look at my mom and my dad. Um, and for me, 
some of them were checked off. Sorry in advance. <laughs> but other others that I had questioned maybe maybe not were more of probably like the victim mentality that you like you you think there's something wrong with you so maybe you can contribute that part being to what your parent has yeah. done type of thing. Yeah. So it was more of that situation. Um and so once I got over that maybe to it not being the case and this viewed the the list it made sense for me to then take it from my parents to the people the village that yeah. I was raised by, you know, and the different people that I still love and care for and respect and found them on the things that my parents didn't check they did you know yeah and And it's so interesting right like you respect them and like it's also like oh i might even like them right but wow they're emotionally immature and that has like hurt me or that has been why i'm hung up on you know such and such issue right like that's crazy i mean it's not crazy but it's interesting to me that like underneath someone is like all of this stuff and that it can easily be checked off on a list it's like are we real humans? Like, I don't know. Right. It just feels like we're all the same, but we're all unique at the same time. Especially because I, I think it has to do a lot with what society standards look like. Uh, like, unspoken societal rules. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of those things where you just kind of, if you look presentable, yeah, we're just supposed to assume you're presentable. And then whatever comes with that, we'll just it comes with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When I first read, the, well, when I first got this book, I was hesitant to actually get it because I was like, okay, my mom is great. Sure, she's not per. I mean, no one's perfect. But, like, I don't – she's – one thing that I believe is that she's not emotionally immature. And But there's other people in my life that I for sure know are emotionally immature and that has impacted me. But to me, I was like, well, those people aren't my parents. And there is one person who is my parent, but he wasn't there. And so I was like, how can – in my head, I was like, well, he's a – Technically, he's my biological parent, right? But that doesn't... To me, I was like, okay, but if he's not there, how can he impact me? Right. But then it's like, that is what's impacting. Like, the right. the, absence the absence is impactful. And so I really had to push myself to get the book because I was like, well, I don't need it because, like, I was raised by an emotionally mature person. And sure, there were other people in my life who were caregivers and helped take care of me. And I knew they weren't emotionally mature. But to me, I thought, oh, it's not that big of a deal because they're not my parent. But to be to be like honest, I spent a lot of time with them. And even if you spend a little time with them, if one thing happens, it can be traumatic. And then that can be like triggering for forever. So I think this book, that's why I think this book is so good for everyone. Because even if you think like, oh, you know, my parents are great. Yeah, they can still be great, but they can still be emotionally immature, and that can still impact you and hurt you and cause other relationships in your life to feel triggering. Yeah, and I and I also, for a while, I had already been looking into my family lineage, lineage and how it, and how generational trauma kind of mm-hmm. looks like. Um, and so once I kind of figured that out, when you introduced me to this book, it was almost a new brainer to read it, but not. I hesitantly wanted to read it because it was like a, 
of course, it's about your parents. So I'm thinking like, about my parents. Let me right. talk about <laughs> um, And my parents are great. Um, I don't have like a tumultuous, yeah. you know, rocky relationship with neither, neither of them. So I'm grateful for that. Grateful for that. But there's always... Um, there's always areas of our relationship we can always improve on. And yeah. so if both of us see where the area is, but we don't necessarily know what the area, how to identify it in words, then it's kind of just dormant and it's staying there. So this book definitely gave me words, gave me the language yeah. to convey certain emotions or certain patterns that in, I didn't know were affecting our relationship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So I'm just going to mention a few that <laughs> that I could relate to that I thought was just like, oh, that's just how this person is. Yeah. But I didn't attribute it to being emotionally immature. And then reading the book, I'm like, oh, that person's emotionally immature. And then connecting that to why it bothers me so mm. much. It was kind of a big deal. Okay, so so I think... One on the list that I can really relate to is that my caregiver didn't express much empathy or emotional awareness. I think I think empathy can be hard to come by in general, but I think for certain people in your life who have narcissistic <laughs> tendencies, it's like basically non-existent. And so when you don't have that, as we'll discuss later, it, it can be isolating and you feel like you're emotionally lonely. And when I read that off the checklist, I was like, I I guess I kind of realized, oh, it was important for me to have that. Because, like, I think sometimes you can be, like, numb to your situation. Mm -hmm. And you can just be like, oh, well, that's just how it is. And that's how it's always been. Right. But then when you read a book and someone says that's not okay, you're like, oh, that's not okay. Right. <laughs> like, kind of this isn't normal. Right. And so you shouldn't expect this. And you shouldn't, like, function in what you think is normal when it's really not. And it's unhealthy. And, oh, maybe that's why I have issues. <laughs> And it's not, yeah. Right. I would definitely say the next one, when it came to emotional closeness and feelings, my parents seemed, or my caregiver, seemed uncomfortable and didn't go there. Um, for me, this had to do with my caregivers, but also with my dad. Like, basically, like, you could apply all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> right? You could apply this. I think you could apply all of this to, or not all of it, but many of these items on the checklist to an absent parent because obviously the reason they're absent is most likely because they're afraid to confront the choices they've made mm. and that requires emotional maturity and so I think a lot of these were ticked off for for me because I do have an absent father and so I think yeah he's definitely not capable of having emotional closeness and obviously the one I didn't get much attention from my parent <laughs> that's definitely relatable yeah. um I so the when it seems to come to emotional closeness and feelings I checked that off too um because for one I, I felt like <clears throat> for for us who grew up in the 90s late 90s early 2000s into the you know, yeah. <laughs> late 2000s type thing. It was a trans transition of, um, a course of century, and then uh, like culture and like yeah. societal technology and everything was like growing at a fast pace. So I think within the hustle and bustle, a lot of our parents, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of our parents 
unknowingly didn't pay attention because of everything that was around, you know? Yeah. And so I, my mind kind of just takes it there in terms of placing blame because obviously I place blame on ter- in terms of you not being there emotionally as much as you probably could have. Um, but I, I, I can't say should have because what you should have been doing was work and what and you worked, you know, yeah. to make the money to provide a lifestyle, to provide, a, you know, a, a home and, a, and food and shelter and things like that. Um, but, but you still feel the isolation and that yeah. aftermath. I didn't feel the aftermath until I got on my own, until I was mm. really isolated into the point where it's like, oh, I, I, we don't have my parents to lean on. Like I have to, talk myself through or call or actually call a friend or like you know yeah. what I'm saying find business <laughs> but yeah and I think like that's a common theme especially in well I don't know if I can isolate it to people of color but I do think like immigrant families and like people of color you're just trying to get by yeah and so sometimes things fall to the wayside and you don't mean for it and sometimes you do mean for it because you just like the book says, the person doesn't have the emotional capacity or maturity to touch on the feelings that they're having or to relate to their child in an emotional way. Yeah. And so they just focus on like the physical needs of their children. And obviously that's helpful. <laughs> like you need like the physical needs met. Right. But it's also important. The book mentions that it's important to have the emotional needs met. And if you don't, that leads to emotional loneliness and then that can impact other relationships in your life and it makes sense because if you're not going to get that from your parent and then you try to go into a relationship and get what you didn't get from your parent you're going to attract your parent I don't know if that makes sense but like you're going to go back to what you're used to and so it's like a cycle that perpetuates itself it's like if you're in a play or like a movie everyone has their own part and your parent is supposed to be emotionally mature but let's say they're emotionally immature that requires you to either be follow in their lead and be emotionally immature or break out of that and be emotionally mature typically I've realized that like when you have people in your life that are emotionally immature you can sometimes be the person that the only person that is emotionally mature or one of the few because they're attracted to that yeah like the emotionally immature people are attracted to that and so I feel like it's like a push and pull relationship and so if you don't resolve it with your parents you're just going to keep going and trying to find that dynamic and fix it that's the whole point it's like you want to find that dynamic with someone so they can fix it and they make it right, right because your parents never made it right right and that's what the book talks about and I'm like that's so like eye-opening it was also really scary because it's like then you don't want to go out there you have to be like hyper vigilant and make sure that you're not out there searching for your parent basically and imagine not even knowing that 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 is what you're doing essentially finding a partner that resembles that's what's so scary (laughs) that your parents gave you like I don't think if I I don't think I would have came into that realization had I been in relationships prior to me reading this book or prior to me coming into like the understanding of oh my this generational trauma here this there's like stuff I need to break down for myself because my parents didn't have my parents whether they wanted to or whether they had time to break it down they didn't so right. now I have to like figure things out so that I don't 
carry that into the next generation of you know people that are supposed to be, walk this earth <laughs> yeah you know? and i think that's another thing that can sometimes be like sad and stressful is like when you come to the realization that you have to be that person in your family because it's like wow like you really did all this stuff to hurt me and you have to do zero of the work aren't you lucky like i have right. to do all the work i have to sit here be in pain be sad be uncomfortable and go through the work so that because it was that painful i don't want it to happen you know to future generations or to other people i have to sit here and do the work because of what you've done right. and i think that's something that's hard for me to like reconcile with because i'm someone who likes justice and like fairness and so for me if you do something wrong you fix it You're right. like it shouldn't be left right. up to me and so i think although the book's intention was to help me <laughs> um be more empathetic towards emotionally immature people i'm not gonna say i'm not more empathetic but i do have to do more work to be more understanding i guess of like because in my mind i'm always like if I can do it, you can do it. Like, we're both human. Right. And, like, we've all had hard things happen to us and bad things happen to us. And some of us choose to do the thing that is hard, to do the thing that is scary and uncomfortable. And maybe there is a difference. Maybe I have more, more courage or, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I, to me, it's frustrating when it feels like you are burdened with something that you didn't do. Mm. and yeah. so then now you have to resolve it when it's like how about they just didn't do what they did in the first place according to the book adult children of emotionally immature parents emotional neglect in childhood leads to a painful emotional loneliness that can have a long-term negative impact on a person's choice regarding relationships and intimate partners Emotionally immature parents fear genuine emotion and pull from emotional closeness. They don't welcome self-reflection, so they rarely accept blame or apologize. Their immaturity makes their them inconsistent and emotionally unreliable. In the introduction, Dr. Lindsay Gibson writes, Understanding their emotional immaturity frees us from emotional loneliness as we realize their neglect wasn't about us, but about them. When we see why they can't be different, we can finally be free of our frustration with them, as well as our doubts about our own lovability. Kind of I touched on it a little bit, like that the intention of the book was to help us like place the, take the blame from us and kind of not necessarily put it on them, but it's to explain their actions and why emotionally immature people do what they do and to understand that like everyone else it's from past trauma most likely to me like the part where it says um when we see why they can't be different we can finally be free of our frustration with them as well as our doubts about our own lovability that was huge for me because I do like internalize when people do something I'm like oh it's because they don't love me enough yeah. and for me that's hard to like disconnect like someone can love you to a certain extent that they're capable of and it has nothing to do with you right. it has everything to do with them and even as i'm saying this intellectually i understand that but for some reason i still take personal offense from it and so it's still hard to wrap my mind around 
but it's something I'm trying to get better at like accepting because that's like a huge burden first of all to place on yourself to be like oh everything's my fault if something goes wrong but it's also kind of unfair to the other person who you feel like may not love you the way that you need because it's like you know you might not love someone the way that they feel like they need to be loved and so it's not it's nothing personal really you know like it's not like i'm choosing not to love you because i'm a jerk you know it's just like i can only love you to a certain extent and i have past issues that make it that way right i feel like for if you're un if you're emotionally immature you don't have clear-cut boundaries yeah and so when you meet an emotionally mature person who does have boundaries it's yeah. gonna look like it's an attack on you you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and so it almost sound, it almost sounds like when you are at a healthy place healthier place and you start setting your own boundaries and you realize someone else has the same type of boundary but it clashes with yours yeah it's almost like you re- you can respect them having their opinion and them having the boundaries they have because you know you don't know you don't know what they've been through in their lives to have gotten to that point yeah that's true. Like, I think emotionally immature people do have a hard time either, like, accepting other people's boundaries or setting their own or both. Both. I right. Think, <laughs> I think, I honestly, for me, when I was at a place where I was, for, I feel like I'm at 26. So I'm, but this is a level of immaturity I feel like I still have mm-hmm. that I hang on to. <laughs> and I just call it ignorant, like, blissful ignorance because... Yeah. I mean, I'm 26. I feel like at 40, I I have understood at 20 what I should have been doing at 26, but I couldn't have because I wasn't. I didn't have the wisdom or the discernment yeah. or the you know what I'm saying. So I live in that, right? And I'm I'm not living that, but I'm aware of that mm-hmm. that blissful ignorance. So when I so the fact that I can look back at 18 from 26 and see how immature I was back then. I can see that I would I didn't have clear cut boundaries back then. I didn't have clear cut I didn't see the boundaries that other people had set for themselves. Yeah. Whether they whether they set them up for themselves or whether they had other people set them up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just what they was going by. That's um, so true cuz like when you're saying that, I'm thinking like, "Oh, when I was 18, I didn't know what boundaries were. Like I knew what they were like in concept, like in theory, right. but I didn't exercise right. my use of boundaries." um for myself but i did understand what they were like if someone said i have a boundary i would like respect it but for me i just thought oh how do i set a boundary right and that makes me emotionally immature but also like (laughs) it's just like you're also young so like when you're young you don't you're not necessarily thinking oh i'm gonna set this boundary you're just like i'm living life because you don't feel the need yeah i don't feel any i don't feel like any young person feels has a feeling of a need to be more mature yeah like, <laughs> right i don't want to be if old boundaries seem like a 35 year old thing like like at, at 16 when i'm thinking i want to be old i'm thinking i want to be old to gain freedom <laughs> not the responsibility that comes with the freedom that i want you yeah. know what i'm saying and yeah. so yeah and i also think like in the introduction like her stating that it's not about your own lovability per se i think that was huge because it's so helpful in like healing and forgiving someone like when you can take it off of yourself Mm -hmm. and just like be like okay i have to forgive them because they're just a human who like 
makes mistakes like everyone just like me you know and like you want to say they're stupid right like, like, you can't say that in a respectful way right they just don't know better <laughs> <laughs> and so you just have to be like okay like they're just i think it's a level of like accepting the yeah. situation is what's helpful in like healing and moving on and forgiving someone and i think reading this book has i'm not saying it's like launched me into like a new level of forgiveness but it's definitely helped me understand the certain people in my life who I categorize as emotionally immature and it's helped me like kind of distance myself from like the personal aspect of it mm-hmm. like because now I'm looking at it like as a person on a like the checklist I'm just looking at it as like oh that person ticks off this checklist and so I don't know to me they're like removed they're not like the person in my life they're the person on the checklist right. and so I can be like okay that's like someone different like right. it's and not the person learn how to handle me. them from a distance yeah. type of yeah. thing so in chapter one the author writes emotional loneliness comes from not having enough emotional intimacy with other people it can start in childhood due to feeling emotionally unseen by self-preoccupied parents or it can arise in adulthood when an emotional connection is lost if it's been a lifelong feeling it points to the likelihood of not being sufficiently emotionally responded to as a child growing up in a family with emotionally immature parents is a lonely experience these parents may look and act perfectly normal caring for their child's physical health and providing meals and safety however if they don't make a solid emotional connection with their child the child would have a gaping hole where true security might have been the loneliness of feeling unseen by others is as fundamental a pain as physical injury but it doesn't show on the outside Emotional loneliness is a vague and private experience, not easy to see or describe. You might call it a feeling of emptiness or being alone in the world. Some people have called this feeling existential loneliness, but there's nothing existential about it. If you feel it, it came from your family. Emotional loneliness comes from not having enough emotional intimacy with others. So then I had to look up what emotional intimacy was just so I could have a clearer definition. Yeah. Uh, And it is defined as both partners feeling secure and loved and which both trust and communicate um like about boundaries um so i thought that was pretty mind-blowing in terms of understanding emotional loneliness only is brought up when there is no emotional intimacy yeah um and so i think for a lot of my growing up was like figuring out what level of intimacy that was emotionally because a lot of emotional intimacy is tied with um sexual anything yeah i was about to ask that because when you said emotional intimacy i don't know why but like because i didn't get this feeling when i read the book but i was like i think some people think that emotional intimacy is like in romantic relationships and it shouldn't be in parental or like caregiving relationships right and i think like i didn't really think that but like i think a lot of people do because of the word intimacy <laughs> and, and, word and like association. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i that, that that clicked in my head and so unlearning like trauma traumatic experiences and tra- what had what trauma has taught yeah you know and, and redefining it for to match and redefining what that means to match a healthier lifestyle really, you know, 
put into perspective what this book really was trying to convey. Yeah. I think when she talks about how emotional loneliness can be like a physical injury, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've felt that, but like, I wouldn't know how to describe it until what she said because I think it's true. Like, even though you can't see it, it feels like someone kicked you in your heart you know like that's what it feels like and it does feel isolating you do feel lonely and it does feel like a private experience which for me I think I thought majority of my childhood because I did feel lonely and when I look back I thought it was like I'm lonely because I'm an only child but really I think it was emotional loneliness Mm. but the whole time I just thought like oh it's normal because I'm an only child or it's normal because that's just how it is like that's just how it is for me and when you read a book that says oh that's not normal or that's not like okay or puts words to it like what you're feeling yeah I think that's huge and I think for people who I mean I there's like degrees to emotional loneliness so for people who might not experience my degree of emotional loneliness they have their own perspective of their emotional loneliness. And I feel like everyone can relate to that feeling of just like kind of what she said, like feeling empty and even sometimes not knowing why you feel empty. Like, because you, you think, Oh, well, my parents are here. It's not like they like abandoned me. Right. Except for my case, one of my parents (laughs) did, (laughs) but like, you know, you know, for me, I was like, Oh, I still have a great, another great parent and I have other people in my life and I have friends and you know, all those other things. So there's no reason to feel lonely, really. But when you come down to it, which is, like, huge, because, like, for most of my life, it didn't really click. It's, like, you feel lonely, and it feels like it can't be resolved. Like, that loneliness can't be resolved because it's emotional loneliness. It's not like I'm physically alone, you know? It's, like, I can't connect with someone, or I can't be my true self, or I feel like I can't be my true self or connect with someone because the people in my life who were important to me made me feel that way because of their own emotional immaturity. Mm. And that's why I feel emotionally lonely. And to me, that's crazy because it's like, for the longest time, I thought it was just physical loneliness. Like, I have no one to talk to, which I didn't because I was an only (laughs) child. (laughs) But it was like, also, I have no one to talk to. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference. Like, I have no one to play with or talk to, but I really don't have anyone to share how I'm feeling with. Or share theories or thoughts yeah. that I think kids just ask. Yeah. <laughs> just understanding and being curious about the world. I, I didn't, like, until you said that just like that, I, I didn't realize, I, I think that was the headspace I was in growing up. Just yeah. not being necessarily lonely, but feeling emotionally lonely. Yeah. And not understanding how that could be because I have parents, I have siblings, I have friends, I have... Right. A church of people who who look after me. I have you know, yeah, parents. Uh, I have friends that are. I have parents. I have people who are friends with my parents. Yeah, who are <laughs> friends with me and who are like looking after me and stuff like that. So, where's this loneliness coming from? And to uh, to really dig into why. There is a empty space where your parents should have known to feel. Yeah. It's just I I I still haven't grappled with it, but this you know you know the yeah. book kind of helps with 
identifying that 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 is the that is the area you know that's the area where you, the pain is residing that's the area of pain that's the area where your 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 shadows are you know what i'm saying because yeah. they're, they're you nobody explored that nobody explained that to you yeah so that's so like i like how you phrase it, like no one explored there like i think that's so true it's like your parents i think when your parents or your caregivers don't take the time to explore who you are like meaning who you are like deep down you know what i'm saying like or like what your fears are or how you're feeling about something then it feels like oh no one really knows me right and i think that's what where like the isolation comes from because you're like okay well no one really knows me it feels like i have like a facade and i can't make true connections which is why i lack emotional intimacy and i have emotional loneliness and i think that's like a really tough place to be in because it's a weird feeling it's like i want to connect but then everything in my life is telling me or like the other emotionally immature people in my life are telling me there's no use in connecting because when i connect i mean not personally but like in the book the book explains like oh maybe if i connect my parents will be angry with me or if i connect they'll ignore me or if i connect they'll discount my feelings or they'll be overly emotional and make it about them so i think that's where it's hard because like you know that there's something wrong and you want to fix it but you can't with your parents which in your mind you you're probably thinking these are the people if anybody can fix it it's them them. but they're not taking the time to do that yeah and i think that's so detrimental to children and that's why sometimes people end up chasing their parents or like you know their mom or their dad in their romantic relationships because they're trying to fix what they what their parents wouldn't choose to fix right like sometimes your parents are just like i didn't do anything wrong they're in denial and so then you're like okay well i'm gonna find someone who is just like you yeah and then they'll they'll change for me and then everything will be fixed and i'll feel happy now because I was able to fix my parent. Right. Air quote. You can't see this because it's a podcast. <laughs> you really are. But um, I thought I think I think that that's very true. I think um, at some point in my life there was in my childhood I can remember an instance where I would I went up to a caregiver and I expressed not feeling motivated, not mm-hmm. knowing that those emotions of not feeling motivated were tied to that emptiness. One, yeah. that that feeling, that emotional emptiness and le- and lack of emotional intimacy. Um, but two, just not, just not, also, one, not knowing what I'm supposed to do in life because I felt like there was a lot of people in my ear telling me the direction in which I'm supposed to go, whether it was, I don't really, I don't really care what, what profession I was in, but it was, it mattered that I was in the profession. Mm, yeah yeah and so you like like something that brings in the big bucks like right money 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 like if you don't come from money all all my family thought about was money so Mm -hmm. like you have to you have to accumulate something so in that time figuring out i'm young so i don't think i was necessarily supposed to be in a place where i'm supposed to figure out my whole life career right but i had that pressure you know what i'm saying i felt that pressure and so uh, when I felt when I told my caregiver I felt unmotivated, all I got back was, "You should be grateful for this, 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 and this." And um, 
go pray and yeah. figure your life out. Like, <laughs> figure yeah. it out. And this and, and it became my life motto, like, figuring it out. If I get distressed, if I get feel pain, if I feel discouraged, angry, figure it out. Like, you have to get through it somehow, <laughs> some way. Mm-hmm. Death isn't an option unless like God takes you. But, right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. I think so many people feel that way. Like, so many adult children have, when they were younger, they grew up hearing stuff like that. Like, they grew up hearing, oh, well, I've provided for you. Like, I know, like, certain people... Like, if you go to your parent and you're like, oh, I want to talk about how you weren't there for me emotionally. <laughs> They'd be like, who cares? <laughs> right. I put food on the table. I did what I had to do to keep you alive. And, yeah, that's important for many reasons <laughs> to keep your child <laughs> right. life alive. But it's also the bare minimum. That's, like, what you signed up for is literally to, like, keep your child alive. alive. <laughs> and so <laughs> what you do after that is supposed to be to help your child thrive and to me that should be what's most important is making sure your child thrives because we all are just surviving (laughs) and that's not a great feeling like we want to we all want to thrive and not just survive and I think that's sometimes why it's like there's that disconnect for me because it's like well if you love your child why wouldn't you want them to thrive? But it's not necessarily about the love. It's about the, their capacity. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just want people listening to know 
not everyone can be as awesome as you. <laughs> no, re- really, and be as aware of your co- right. your ca- your capacity to love yeah. unconditionally. And some people just don't care. I think that's like it's harsh, that but too. it's true. Some people don't care, and it's not because. I think for some people, it's because they don't care how you feel. But I think for a lot of people, they feel like they don't have the time or the energy to care. And I'm saying I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying I think that's very realistic. And I think once you accept that, that you can tell someone how you're feeling and they may never apologize. They may never accept that what they did was wrong. They may never admit to doing anything wrong and they may live in denial forever until the day they die. You still have to move on because mm-hmm. you can't wait for them to do anything because then you'd be waiting forever. And nobody <laughs> and, knows you're awesome. And, right. then, and then what? <laughs> so you have to sometimes you're the one who who has to be courageous and like do the hard work and it's annoying and frustrating and sometimes it's even angering but i think that's just some people aren't where you are yeah and that's okay because for me i like to think of it like i'm setting setting an example and not just for like other people like who are younger than me but i'm setting an example for the people that i want to change yeah like for the people who i want to accept what they've done i'm setting an example because maybe if they see me forgiving them for something that's so horrible and like they know deep down it's horrible but i'm forgiving them for it like won't they i'm not saying they will but you would hope that they would be like wow like if someone else has that capacity to love me enough which i'm not saying i love them enough to forgive them i'm just doing it for myself honestly but like yeah. If someone thinks like, oh, they can forgive me for something that can be considered unforgivable or it could be considered too painful to forgive, then maybe I can forgive myself. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. for what I did to that person and I can eventually apologize because I do think certain people really want to, they don't want to accept it because it can be hard, but I think they want to be able to love as much as possible. Yeah. And things get in the way of, you know, past traumas get in the way of that because they've been hurt and they don't, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think when it comes to emotionally immature people, it's constantly a battle against their past trauma because I think emotionally immature people tend to hold on to it more and like not forgive and to be stuck. And so that's why there's always that there's that cycle. That's why we're here recording a podcast because someone was got stuck basically. Yeah, and and like when you get stuck in a in a in a time, especially when you're in a child as a child in a space of an emotionally lonely lonely place, and as a child you you're naturally curious. So you're just curiously in a place that is not constructed to be not constructed for discovery it's constructed to to just have a, a place like there's going to be good in the world there's going to be evil in the world that's just the place we live in um and the great gandhi said you be the change you want to see in the world so with us doing this work um with nisi going to therapy me <laughs> looking up searching for therapy us reading this book and and making sure that we're as aware of our immaturity as possible. Um, one, because we want to make sure that we're in good conscience with 
the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, I, expect, I guess I'll speak for myself, and I won't be in good conscience on a day-to-day basis, but also I want to make sure the people that I surround myself with, that I love, that I like, that I'm acquainted with, are doing the same. And if they don't know to do the same, I want to be able to show that they can. You know what I'm saying? And it, yeah. and it be a universal thing. So how can emotional loneliness grow during childhood? Um, One way it can happen is when parents are too self-preoccupied that they don't notice their child's inner experiences. Also, parents or caregivers will discount their child's feelings and they fear emotional intimacy. They're uncomfortable with their own emotional needs and therefore have no idea how to offer support at an emotional level. These parents make it nervous or angry if their children get upset punishing them instead of comforting them. This closes the door to emotional contact between the child and the parent. (laughs) As a child, you may have thought that feeling empty and alone was your own private strange experience, something that made you different from other people. You may have felt hollow or like something was always missing. This type of loneliness isn't an odd or senseless feeling. It's the predictable result of growing up without sufficient empathy from others. I think the point about like, something that made you different from other people was big for me because I always thought that like I felt like so different like I think I felt different for many reasons because I was like introverted and shy and always in my head but I thought I think that was because I was emotionally lonely okay. so I did feel different a lot of the time and to realize that like oh it might have been because I was lacking emotional intimacy is helpful I mean I don't know what to do with that now <laughs> I can't go back and change anything, but I guess I can, you know, take this information and move forward. But it's it's crazy because, like, if only I mean, as a child, you wouldn't know how to comprehend this information, obviously. But like it would have been helpful if like a little fairy could come and be like, hey, you're just emotionally lonely. And like, you know, it'll get better. Hopefully. I don't right. know. <laughs> no, no, I think if if, <laughs> if we had textbooks back then that had literature that it would explain what symptoms of emotional loneliness look like I think we would be in a better <laughs> headspace and as, uh, as a whole uh, but what stood out to me was the sufficient empathy because I always thought empathy was like the highest of of frequency you can feel like for someone to for you to understand something or someone unconditionally um and so to put sufficient in front of it means you can be un- insufficient and in, in empathizing, which in theory, I think a lot of us live in in a place where I feel like I don't feel like I lack uh, any empathy <laughs> because mm. I, I just don't feel that way. <laughs> and so but I do also and in the same breath, I do also feel an ounce of like sufficient of uh, of empathy in yeah. terms of just not caring at all like at all yeah. <laughs> and and but on the same breath like I, I care so to feel both entities within within me <laughs> is is, yeah. is one that i think is a constant battle and a, and a constant check i think when people say take it day by day because it's like you have to constantly check in with yourself constantly be able to um say hey this is not working for me right now whether it be an emotional thing or not 
you know, we talked about in our in past episodes about um the Olympics and yeah. what Simone did for her for, for herself. Um we wouldn't have saw that years ago prior yeah. to. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. that's not a, a not a thing that's taught, but for us to finally get there and elevate to a place where we validate emotions because mm-hmm. they are just as real as the physical yeah. elements that we feel. It makes sense for it for for empathy to be um along a spectrum. Yeah. I think it's good to like not have not not have too much empathy, but to like have a sufficient amount of empathy to me is like sometimes you can only give so much. And so I think as a parent, if you have that sufficient amount of empathy, enough so that your child can thrive, you know, I think that's so important. But then from the other side, it's also like setting a boundary. Like I will have only so much empathy for your situation because if I don't, you might take advantage of it. Right. And I think that's more appropriate for like narcissistic people. Right. Like sometimes you really do have to set those boundaries and be like, okay, I understand you know, whatever happened, happened. But I'm setting a boundary. I can only have so much empathy for your situation. At the end of the day, you're an adult. You have to, you know, choose to do the right thing. Right. And it, I was gonna say, it's so hard to, honest, it's honestly really hard to even tell what that boundary looks like within a relationship between a parent and a child because on one end you hear situations about parents providing everything they need physically mm-hmm. and going to great schools and financially being stable but not providing that emotional intimacy that we're talking about yeah but on the other end you have that person that parent that provides all the emotional intimacy but doesn't but can't provide financially or yeah the physical you know clothes and and plate like you have parents that raise their child within the, the system of home, the homeless shelters and things like that because that's just what they choose to do. Not, yeah. not necessarily choose in terms of level of suffering, but <laughs> for their child, for them to know that they could have put their child in a better predicament or they could have maybe waited to have children until they got to a better predicament. They chose, you know, to that yeah. life. So you have that difference of situation. So it's almost like, it, that puts in perspective more of what that intimacy looks like on a spectrum. Yeah. So what is emotional intimacy? According to Dr. Lindsay Gibson, emotional intimacy involves knowing that you have someone you can tell anything to, someone to go to with all your feelings about anything and everything. You feel completely safe opening up to the other person, whether in the form of words, through an exchange of looks, or just by being together quietly in a state of connection. It can only exist when the other person seeks to know you, not judge you. And that's like the last line to me is like the big part. Like emotional intimacy is when someone's seeking to know you, not judge you. And I think that's why it's hard for people to be emotionally intimate. I know I can't relate to this. (laughs) Like, um, yeah, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't feel like I can relate to this quote necessarily. Not saying I don't have people that I feel like I can connect with or be emotionally intimate with, but because of other things that have happened, I feel I'm I question it before I do it, you know? So it's like it's not like, oh it's not like what is it like, um what's the word? 
it's not like free emotional intimacy. It's not like I'm just going to, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not like I'm just going to be like, oh, I have something I want to share and let me share it. And it's going to be amazing and not question it at all. Right. Like there will be a process of me being like, should I share it? Oh, maybe I shouldn't share it. I'll just keep it to myself. Um, Don't share it because what if this person judges you or don't show your true self because what if they leave you? You know, like it's like other things like you can't just. I wonder what life would be like if you like you could just be like, I'm just going to (laughs) say how I feel and not question anything. And so like, yeah, I feel like there's people I could get to that place with or I feel like there are people in my life who I know won't judge me. But just because I know they won't judge me doesn't mean I still feel safe saying, you know, things. And see, I don't believe no one does doesn't judge. Really? Like on a day to day, but no, you have to. You have to. Well, I mean, everyone judges, but you don't think there are certain people who are like less that. likely to judge. Of than course, others? Okay. I do. But even then, I'm you not. You still for thinking me, they're judging because of my trauma? Just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like you, because right. of, because of the people have have traumatized me to to a point where. I don't look at emotional intimacy the way that this book looks at emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. I don't share, and I don't yeah. share because I don't trust. Yeah, <laughs> I that's, don't trust that's because true. It's the trust part, yeah. I don't trust not not because you're not trustworthy. Exactly. But I don't trust because I don't trust the odds of it not turning okay. in my favor or it not being a mutual respect thing. Okay. So like yeah. I'm I'm worried about you you bringing it up to my like me telling you something like I'm afraid of flamingos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bring that up. That's that's a real fear. Okay, guys. So don't keep <laughs> it against me. But if you were to come up to me talking about some here's a flamingo <laughs> after I told you my fear of it. Yeah. That that would be like there's nothing I can do to you physically. I can't harm you. Cool. But like now I have to reevaluate people like you yeah. who see my fears as a game or people yeah. who see it as or a... Or want to take advantage of your fear. Or, or want to weakness, take advantage yeah. of it because it's just what people do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Whether it was intentional or unintentional. Yeah, and, you or, said or intentional or unintentional. You know, like, because I think people are less malicious than we... Like to make it and, out to be. Right. Yeah. And so I think this comes out of our survival instincts. And so when you're stuck in a place of survival when you don't need to be, yeah, you're yeah. at that place. It's like everything is ne- everything's negative. Everything's That's true. on defense. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the trust component is a big part of emotional intimacy. Um, and for me, it's like, yeah, I have people in my life I feel like, you know, won't judge me and that I can tell things to. But it's also like... <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's like... But what about the times when I did and then it was used against me or I did... And people didn't take it seriously or they acted, you know, they had denial about the situation. or They acted like something didn't happen. It's, that's the thing that, like, trips you up is, like, sure, but how do I know you won't suddenly be that person? And I think if you have narcissistic narcissistic people in your life, it makes you distrustful of, like, literally everyone. You're like, okay, for all I know, you could switch on me, like, at any moment and decide to use my vulnerability against me yeah or to judge me for sharing my vulnerability or anything like that and so i think it would be nice to know 
I think it would be nice to know what it's like to like personally for me I feel like it would be nice to know what emotional intimacy looks like with a male person (laughs) like in my life because I never had that with my dad and so I think that's the thing that trips me up is like I can have it with my mom or I can have it with you know other people but like I can't have it I don't see how I can have it with a man and that's only be only because I didn't get that emotional intimacy from my dad right and that's annoying that someone can have that much like impact on your future relationships or how you view yourself or how you view others yeah when those people didn't exist back then or those people you know what I'm saying like they didn't necessarily have anything to do with it yeah but it makes but it but then when you look at the when you look at it from a long-term perspective it makes sense how in the absence of your dad biological father who mm-hmm. is kin to you which is like right. a generational generational curse trauma thing i was talking about yeah like it makes sense for you to like for me to want to figure out what that looks like through my dad's lineage and through my mom's lineage and to come to find out there are two separate trauma experiences coming into one existence existence which is me right. and having to like not necessarily hold it against them because they didn't figure it out sooner, but really take on take on that responsibility. Like uh, it's my responsibility as an adult now to pay bills. Now it's my respons- responsibility as an adult to make sure I don't carry on a trauma knowingly and not heal it. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 having to be in a space that I can be it you know what i'm saying and be just as attentive to the parts of me that i don't want to share with anybody to actually trying to share with somebody you know what i'm saying and whether it's a response that i don't want to hear or not anticipating like okay if they they respond well continue on with what you're going to say if they don't respond well well you know that person wasn't the right person move on like yeah. swiftly learning Swiftly, yeah. like learning what that swift that swift right. move with the quickness right? like, you know what i'm saying what that looks like for you because everybody can't be sunshine and rainbows yeah to negative situations everybody's not gonna like turn the other cheek to you crossing boundaries that you know you shouldn't have crossed yeah so they're just under, gonna be like oh let's keep taking advantage you know of it. what i'm saying people yeah. are everybody emotionally uh, emotionally mature so when you yeah. come across that person who um, who you see as who who you see can be potentially, um, let's say hold your baggage, but they when they hold it, it drops. <laughs> like you can't yeah. necessarily be mad at them for not holding up to their word because you almost went in blind. If that makes sense, yeah. So it does. you had to trust, and I think that's where faith comes in. I think that's where spirituality comes in. I don't know if we're gonna have to ever kind. Of, ever had that episode conversation but yeah wait wait say it again <laughs> like i think like spiritual i think that's where like faith comes in where you just oh, like, yeah. blindly trust somebody whether they whether you know they're gonna do something or not because you you can't really take people's words because they don't know <laughs> you know what i'm saying but, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's just my tra- trauma speaking <laughs> i'm sorry guys but yeah so some ways that children cope with emotional loneliness might be feeling guilty for being unhappy feeling trapped in taking care of their parents or their caregivers, not trusting their own instincts, or lacking self-confidence due to parental rejection. 
I was curious to know how did you cope when you were a child? Um, so a lot of my coping mechanisms, um, I don't necessarily know if I remember, <laughs> uh, but I know I was in a lot of activities. Mm-hmm. So just my like mind, yeah, I was very distracted, and I think that became my coping mechanism going into adulthood. Yeah. I don't necessarily distract myself as much now because I really work and do stuff that you know just a like the life thing. But as a child, I was very distracted with activities and people around constantly so yeah it was it was never and which is where which is why i was so confused why i felt emotionally lonely because i was never mm-hmm. ever alone you yeah. know what i'm saying like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and i felt like an only child because i was the only oldest son my two sisters had each other they had a, they had a room together and i had my <laughs> own by myself yeah. so i was alone and i always had people around and so i was i had that time but it was just yeah so a lot of my coping mechanisms came with activities and TV and eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how just that's how I distracted myself. <laughs> how about you? Um how did you cope? I think I coped in not trusting my own instincts. Um and I also think lacking I lacked self confidence still do (laughs) but I like self-confidence due to parental rejection and so I think I also it's not on the list and she doesn't really mention it in the book but I also think part of my coping which obviously none of these coping mechanisms are healthy it's just you're a child you're not like oh let me do a healthy coping mechanism you're just trying to get by but like for me I internalized a lot of things which I think led to to the lack of self-confidence but like I kind of became reserved and went into my shell and like stayed there as a form of like protection. I think that's how I coped because it's like I can't be lonely. I know this might not make sense, but I can't be emotionally lonely if I don't let people in. Right. Because if I let people in and then they don't want to emotionally connect or, you know, they reject me, then I'll be even more emotionally lonely because I tried to form that connection. Right. And then I lost it. And so I think that's a major way that I coped with emotional loneliness. I know that um, for the like the not trusting your instincts part, for me, that came the other things came from like my abandonment issues. Yeah. Whereas the not trusting my instincts came from other <laughs> um, relationships I had growing up and. I think sometimes if you have narcissistic people in your life and they're emotionally immature, which is synonymous, basically, you can learn to not trust your own instincts in the way that, like, let's say you confront them about something. Like, you say, hey, this hurt me. I didn't like that you did this. They will straight up be like, I never did that. And mm. so then you, tr- you, it's gaslighting, but, you know, when you're young, you don't know that that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. And so you don't trust your instincts. You're like, well, that person's older than me. And, you know, maybe they didn't do it. I don't know. Yeah, like, maybe yeah. I'm overreacting. So you don't trust your instincts. And that is really bad <laughs> because then how are you to ever trust your instincts with people who aren't your family? And to me, that's even more major because... 
if the people in your family can do dirty, like people who aren't, right? Right, like so you really need to be able to trust yourself. Yeah, I the not trusting your instincts is a huge thing because I felt like as a child there was opportunities where my instincts could have saved me, (laughs) (laughs) saved me, but it didn't because I didn't trust it. I didn't trust the part. I, I trust I, it's crazy because you you hear voices in your head or you create voices in your head you mm-hmm. speak in your mind because you're in that shell I feel like I was that and, and made a shell of my own and you you create voices for different situations <laughs> and it it almost makes you look at your family as strangers and then your the people outside your family as like familiars in yeah. terms of like rel- relativity. And like yeah, to like relatively relativity to whatever I might be going through. Like oh, my my family don't get it, but these people over here they seem to get it a lot more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I think the trusting the the instincts was was a huge thing. In the book, the author lists some personality traits that are associated with emotional immaturity. And when I was reading them, I. <laughs> if you look at my book I like start like basically all of them and you know we're looking at the list right now and it's really long um so that's just to let you know the type of emotional turmoil I've gone through (laughs) but like it's crazy that like people can check off so many things it's like just having one of these can be traumatizing for someone right but to have a caregiver in your life to have a majority oh. of these or all of them that's that's actually scary yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, scary it's like a, a cocktail for a mass murderer no <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark because like you imagine you're like that emotionally lonely and then you're yeah. lonely physically like <laughs> yeah you hear those cases <laughs> okay so here's the list they are rigid and single-minded they have low stress tolerance they do what feels best. They are subjective, but not objective. They have little respect for differences. They are egocentric. They are self-preoccupied and self-involved. They are, so- they are self-referential, not self-reflective. They like to be the center of attention. They promote role reversal. They have low empathy and are emotionally insensitive. They are often inconsistent and contradictory. They develop strong defenses and take the place of the self. They fear feelings. They focus on the physical instead of the emotional. They can be killjoys. They have intense, intense but shallow emotions. They don't experience mixed emotions. They have difficulties with conceptual thinking. They have a proneness to literal thinking. And they intellectualize obsessively. Um, just as like the other checklist, I went through this to see if I <laughs> had no, any I of these. I identify with some of them. Really? I'm thinking, uh... <laughs> um... I mean, I think I could identify with some of these, but in a very low degree. Yeah. Like, whereas I think the list is meant to be not to the most extreme, but to, like, to an extreme that it impacts other people. Yeah. Um, Like, I fear feelings, but it hardly ever keeps me from exploring them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to not explore them. That's why I'm in therapy. Like, I feel like people who have this emotional immaturity, they probably won't be the people who want to seek therapy. Right. Yeah, there's definitely, like, for me, it was a mix of the people in my life, but pretty much all of them were met by someone, so. <laughs> um, 
I I was gonna say I I kind of identify with the um into intellectualizing obsessively yeah. like yeah that was one that I think is like I could definitely <laughs> like <laughs> this to. is probably me the right? most out of the the small amount right on this list but like understand like understanding everything is not knowledge based if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah I do believe it. I. I'm a spiritual person, so I do believe spirituality has a lot of unknowns that does not necessarily equate to knowledge. Yeah. But makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So. But sometimes oh. I feel like we use into like our intellect to like understand something. You know, like we yeah. want to like break it down, whereas instead of feeling it, we try to intellectual intellectualize it by like disconnecting from it. Yeah. So that it becomes like this thing that's like distant from us like it's not actually something that we're feeling but yeah but we know what that feeling is yeah (laughs) i don't know how to explain it but yeah Yeah. okay um so we've talked a lot about emotional immaturity but it's also important to know what emotional maturity looks like for yourself and so you can identify it in other people the author writes emotional maturity means a person is capable of thinking objectively and conceptually while sustaining deep emotional connections to others People who are emotionally mature can function independently while also having deep emotional attachments, smoothly incorporating both into their daily life. They are direct about pursuing what they want, yet do so without exploiting other people. They've differentiated from their original family relationships sufficiently to build a life of their own. They have a well-developed sense of self and identity, and they treasure their close relationships. Emotionally mature people are comfortable and honest about their own feelings, and get along well with other people thanks to their well-developed empathy, impulse control, and emotional intelligence. They're interested in other people's inner lives and enjoy opening up and sharing with others in an emotionally intimate way. When there's a problem, they deal with others directly to smooth out differences. Emotionally mature people cope with stress in a realistic, forward-looking way while consciously processing their thoughts and feelings. They can control their emotions when necessary, anticipate the future, adapt to reality, and use empathy and humor to ease difficult situations and strengthen bonds with others. They enjoy being objective and know themselves well enough to admit their weaknesses. And, you know, I'm not going to, like, toot my own horn here, but I don't think, obviously, no one is, like, going to reach peak, you know, maturity, emotional maturity. I feel like that takes a lifetime to do because we're human and, you know, things hurt us and people hurt us and we have to, like, grow and forgive and all that stuff. But, like, I think I'm on the right track. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't – I think I'm more emotionally mature than I am immature. And when I am emotionally immature, I can recognize it. And I don't like it about myself. And I'm someone who's proactive, whether that's – for the right reasons, I don't know. But I'm someone who's, like, I'm going to fix it if yeah. I can. And I think that's the part that is really important to me and differentiating between emotionally immature people and emotionally mature people is like the drive to fix it like the drive to be like okay i'm gonna do better yeah Yeah. and i think yeah so for me not not to my own horn too (laughs) toot toot uh (laughs) i think i'm more more on the on the emotionally mature side than uh immature side um and like you said to the point of understanding the difference between like the two, you know what I'm saying, and yeah. and I think that's probably why I, I hold off on being in a relationship now, only because 
I know that there's a level of maturity that I want to reach, not necessarily peak, but reach before I get into that with someone else. Because I feel like there's, I feel like there's a level of maturity where you're able to realize in somebody else relatively quickly, you know what I'm saying? And build on what, what it is that you guys come to conclusion about, which, you know, why is every relationship is different because you come to different conclusions. Yeah. Um, so like understanding that like i just i get it yeah Yeah. (laughs) so there are four types of emotionally immature parents and caregivers um despite their different styles all four types have the same underlying emotional immaturity all tend to be self-involved narcissistic and emotionally unreliable all share the, the common traits of egocentricity insensitivity and limited capacity for genuine emotional intimacy all use non-adaptive coping mechanisms that distort reality rather than dealing with it, and all use their children to try to make themselves feel better, often leading to a parent-child role reversal and exposing their children to adult issues in an overwhelming way. So the four types of emotionally immature parent, parents or caregivers are <laughs> the emotional parent, and these parents are run by their feelings, swinging between over-involvement and abrupt withdrawal. They are prone to frightening instability and unpredictability. Overwhelmed by anxiety, they rely on others to stabilize them. They treat small upsets like the end of the world and see other people as their rescuers or abandoners. There's driven parents who are compulsively goal-oriented and super busy. They can't stop trying to perfect everything, including other people. Although they rarely pause long enough to have true empathy for their children, they are controlling and interfering when it comes to running their children's lives. And then there's passive parents. They have a laissez-faire mindset and avoid dealing with anything upsetting. They're less obviously harmful than the other types, but have their own negative effects. They readily take a backseat to a dominant mate, even allowing abuse and neglect to occur by looking the other way. They cope by minimizing problems and acquiescing. Then there's the rejecting parent, who engages in a range of behaviors that make you wonder why they have a family in the first place. Whether their behavior is mild or severe, they don't enjoy emotional intimacy and clearly don't want to be bothered by children. Their tolerance for other people's needs is practically nil, and their interactions consist of issuing commands, blowing up, or isolating themselves from family life. Some of the milder types may engage in stereotyped family activities, but they still show little closeness or real engagement. They mostly want to be left alone to do their own thing. So, I don't know, like, if you want to talk about it, but are there, like, (laughs) were you able to identify any of your parents or any caregivers in your life that fit into those four types? Yes, so I will play it safe by saying (laughs) I have had caregivers in my space that were driven Mm -hmm. and they were mostly driven and passive. Mm -hmm. Um, I rarely, rarely just um, had the experience of reject like the rejection rejecting parent good for you I'm just kidding. Which, <laughs> <laughs> but i i understand i have there's the, like elements the attri- of rejection right yeah attributes of, like the traits of rejection but they weren't rejecting me yeah in a yeah. way so uh but driven and passive were definitely the 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 driving forces of our of our household and the my realm of living yeah um, 
because work is important. Yeah. Money is important, and the only way you can get money is to work. And right. so, <laughs> so they're um, driven. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the type of job and the type of community you you are in with that job is was important. It is important. Um, it was kind of the thing that was kind of instilled constantly. Yeah. Um, and then when, when there were issues, they weren't um, public oh, in the okay. sense that they were seen or that they were heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were very, like, hush, hush. Yeah. And, it, like, if there was, it was a major issue, we just w- wouldn't talk about it. So um, having those, those two com- combinations of, of uh, growing up <laughs> kind of gave me a unique perspective to the type of um, people and the type of parent or caregiver I want to be. Yeah. So. For me, I would say there's three types, but that's because I'm not just considering my parents, considering, like, other people in, right. li- in my life. Um, but I've definitely... The people in my life fit very squarely into these types to me like it's not like it's not like it's pretty rigid like i think they're exactly that type of (laughs) of emotionally (laughs) immature person so i would say my three are emotional the emotional caregiver the passive caregiver and obviously the rejecting caregiver (laughs) um and these i think all of them are horrible <laughs> to experience on their own levels. Yeah. But I think the rejecting one is like the most influential for me, like the most impactful for me because the other ones are at least, Hey, I'm going to do my responsibility. Right. But at least, you know what I'm saying? And like, for me, I know the rejecting period isn't just about like someone abandoning their child, but it's also about like, even if you do have that parent there, they might just be like, I want to pretend you don't exist. Right. Um, but yeah, I think all of them... And I can only imagine how that, that feels yeah. in terms of knowing you created something, being a part of the life for, I don't know, two, three, four, five years mm-hmm. <laughs> max, and then deciding, <laughs> hey, this is not the child that I was <laughs> expecting. <laughs> right, and like, in my mind, that's what I'm thinking, like... If, <laughs> Like, why else would you admit, like... But I also think it's really bad, like, if you have a rejecting parent and they're still in your life. Like, they, you know, like, maybe they're there for the marriage or whatever, you know, but they don't really want to be a parent. That's still... That has to be really hard, too, because it's just, like, then why are you here? At least leave. Like, (laughs) like, I can't... I have to see what I can't have access to. You know, like, I have Mm. to, like... It's a constant reminder of, like, what I am not able to have. Right. That has to be hard. Yeah. If you guys want us to talk more about the book, because there's so much more to talk about. These are just, like, the major things we wanted to hit on. Well, let us know on social media, and we'll do a part two. Might not be this year, but it'll definitely happen. (laughs) Because there's so much more to talk about, especially when it comes to learning how to confront your emotionally immature parent or caregiver. Yes, and I also am interested in hearing stories. So if you have any stories... um, Hit us up on our platforms on Facebook, whether it's Facebook, Instagram. And all of those are in the show notes. Yes. And so send us your stories. We want to hear them. We'll, if you have any um, need any advice, advice from two emotionally mature-er people. 
<laughs> please, we will help you as much as we can. Right. Um, so, yeah. Also, if you have any other book recommendations that we can get into, we might do the the Attachment Styles book because yeah. that I feel like that kind of plays into this book as well. Let us know and we'll get to it. See you in the next episode. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.